KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. It's just a good conversation with somebody that you didn't know you were interested in. I'm Matt Leon, and this is One on One. When I ran Comrades, which was a 56 mile race in South Africa, I ran a marathon every month, February, March, April, May. And, you know, here I am running a 56-mile race. Same thing for 24 hours. You're training your, your brain and your, your mental capacity. So in a 24-hour race, you actually start hallucinating. And our guest this week is Dave Thomas, one of the area's most successful cross-country and track coaches. He is the cross-country and track coach at Division II Jefferson University. And Dave, thanks so much for taking the time. No, thanks for having me on. So let's just start. It's been a crazy year for everyone. Uh, what has the last year been like for you? Well, yeah, say crazy has been an understatement. I mean, as you know, last year in March, we, they kind of shut us down, and that was the end of the season. But this year has been an adaptation year of taking COVID tests and keeping people spaced out and, and things like that as far as practice goes. Um, I actually run a couple of practices a day just to kind of keep us in small groups and and, you know, keeping us going. It's been challenging, but, uh, but you know, I'm adapting to it. So for someone who's dedicated his life, basically, to the idea of running, what do you love about running? Well, I, I think just the whole feeling of expression. I'm kind of an independent person, so I think I don't have to rely on teammates, you know, to go out there and do what I have to do to get done to improve. Um, so that's what kind of turned me on. When I was 14 years old, I kind of learned you know, early on that I just enjoyed the, the freedom of movement and challenging yourself, setting up different goals and, and going for it. Did you run track and cross country when you were a kid or did you just run to run? No, it's funny. I kind of came from, uh, I grew up in North Philadelphia. I grew up in Ollie section of Philadelphia. So I had no experience in what we call formal training or anything. All the street games that you do as a kid, Nothing formal, and as far as it goes, I, I was a little bit of a baseball guy, but I was too small. I was five foot three. I wasn't going to make the baseball team. So I saw, I looked down the track, and you know, I thought I was fairly fast. I started in a 100 meter dash. Little did I know I was fast, but not that fast. And then I saw some guys kind of like leaving the track, and you know, where the heck are they going? And uh, luckily, I was inspired by my history teacher, who was a great Villanova runner. Uh, All-American, and he inspired me to say, hey, why don't you try this cross-country distance running? He gave me a, a schedule to follow in the summertime, and I was 14 years old, and kind of got the bug from there, and ran for LaSalle High School. So, um, you know, we had a pretty good reputation, and then it, it got me to Temple University running for, for Temple. So, basically started with no formal background, and just led to a whole, one thing led to another, and became my whole life, right, as you said. When you're running distance as a youngster, was boredom ever an issue? Not at all. If anyone who has the bug and who's like a quote-unquote distance runner who knows what it is, I mean, you can go out for a 20-mile run, you know, a couple of, couple of hours by yourself. And it's more of an intrinsic athlete. You know, we don't need like a lot of things, a lot of music. We don't need people yelling at us. We don't need that kind of stuff. I think you just get into a zone and you probably heard of something called a runner's high. A little bit of a, I mean, you don't get it all the time. You know, maybe in all the years of my running, I might have gotten it three times. But when you're in it, you're in a zone and it feels like you can just got, kind of go forever. And just a pleasant feeling when you get done. You know, you know you accomplished something. And I think uh, I never got bored in, in doing it. Never, never one of these guys that needed headphones and 
need all that kind of stuff. I just like to go out in nature and run. What do you think about when you're running? Just kind of putting my day together. You know, what I'm going to do later on in the day, you know, kind of what I have to accomplish. Sometimes you just start daydreaming. Uh, I mean, I'll get a song in my head and I'll kind of be in my head or um, more just daydreaming, uh, thinking back on things. It's funny. Uh, things when you're after, especially about a half an hour of running consistently, things just start going through your brain. And you just, you know, sometimes you create things You're like, hey, uh, maybe I want to you know, do this with my house and what I would do here and things you're going to think about you know, uh, and planning down the road. So I think it's unusual. I think, you know, us, any distance type of athlete, like a swimmer, bicycle guy, you know, we're all kind of the same mold of athlete and uh, distance-wise. And it, it's hard to explain, but, you know, people who do it, you know, knows, knows that, that they love it and they don't need that. Uh, you never get bored doing it. So when you're in high school, what are you, are you expecting the running to take you somewhere? And I don't mean that literally. <laughs> I mean, in, in life or... Are you just doing it because it is a passion, something you enjoy day to day? Well, I, I mean, it, for me, I mean, it was competition, too. So, you know, you're running the mile or you run the two mile and you're against, you know, you might be against 15 competitors coming up in the race coming up. So you're planning out, you know, you're planning out what you're what you're what you want to go out in, in the mile and that kind of stuff. So that took me, you know, week to week planning wise. But then when you feel like, hey, I'm pretty good at it. You know, maybe I can run in college, you know, and then I, I, I ran at Temple, never really got a scholarship. I mean, I didn't get an offer and I was actually third man on the team as a freshman on cross country, but really didn't get any type of money or scholarship stuff until my junior year. So it wasn't really so much, you know, I'm running for a scholarship thing, too, but I wanted to compete in college. I knew it would take me to a college and compete there. I had some friends that were running for Villanova or Penn, so it became more of a, you know, competition wise that way. And then that just led me to a whole career after that, um, and which, you know, we can get into kind of what it led me into after that. Um, I went to Temple on a, a exercise physiology was my major. So I was into physical fitness. I was into that. And that was going to be my living, you know, something in fitness. So staying in shape and running, you know, just kind of, you know, kind of be a good blend for that. You mentioned a teacher who approached you when, you know, when you're 14 about writing. Was that Tom Donnelly? Yeah, correct. Tom Donnelly, who's probably, I, I, bona fide, I think, the greatest coach distance rider ever to come out of Philadelphia. I mean, and I think that's with any sport. I'm not, you know, and I'm not exaggerating. He takes, I mean, he's a coach I have for now. And he's a, he has a quality of just taking regular people and, you know, making them a lot better than what they thought they could be. So he was my inspiration. He was actually my history teacher. He's the one who said, you know, hey, why don't you try it? And and uh, we, we were doing 60 miles a week. You know, so think of a high school kid as a 16-year-old. He had us so inspired and jacked up. We had 40 guys on the team. And we were running 40 miles a week, thing, you know, thinking we can go out and conquer the world. And uh, he would take us to the top of Belmont Plateau, this hill. And you can kind of see the, uh, the whole city. And say, hey, you guys are going to own that city, you know, and like just inspired you. And I think, he, you know, when he went to Haverford, does the same thing. And, you know, they became national champions. A small little liberal arts school became national champions. And that's just the way he was. And we had him on the podcast uh, probably about a year ago. And it's fascinating, the connection and obvious the impact he had on you to where you are today. You're correct. And, and it's, it's, it's amazing because you know, we still see each other at meets, you know, but he still treats me like, um, you know, like he kind of, he, he grew up in Logan, I grew up in Ollie. So, you know, we kind of had that thing, you know, kind of like that way. So he still jokes at me like, oh, you know, the Ollie kid, here he comes, 
and that was 40 some years ago, you know, when he was kidding me about that. So it, it's, it's, it's funny that way that uh, we, you can still keep that connection. And it's a small community, you know, even though we're a big city, everyone in the, in the distance running community kind of knows each other. So it's, so it's great keeping connections that way. How much of what he does as a coach have you adopted to be part of your repertoire of what you do as a coach? I think his biggest thing and, and I kind of what I take from him is he doesn't, doesn't deal with just a superstar runner. You know, he deals with the top guy and he deals with the kid who just wants to just make the team and, you know, get better, who's never going to win a medal, never going to, you know, even place well, but can make them better and feel like they're part of a team. And, and, and I think that was the main thing that I walked away coaching wise no, not, not like, like I learned workouts from him or learned things like that. I think it was more how he handles people, you know, and, and makes them feel better that way. And that's what I try to do, um, you know, with, with the kids that I deal with today. And then you mentioned you went to Temple and your coach there was a Jack St. Clair? My coach at Temple was Jack St. Clair. And people who out there know that the Saint, you know, was totally opposite of Tom Donnelly. You know, so Tom was more of a quiet, inspirational, you know, he can get mad at times, but, you know, kind of kept it low key where Saint was a screamer. You know, he was more of a Vince Lombardi kind of figure, you know, screaming all the time. Oh, yeah, that kind of thing in a, in a good way, you know, in a good way. Kind of. And I and I got both ways. Like I said, I grew up in North Philadelphia, so I kind of, you know, can take that also. I, I didn't go uh, saying, oh, this guy's a terrible guy, but he drew the best out of me, too. I mean, he. He knew I could be a pretty good marathon runner, and he knew a distance. I never had true speed. I wasn't a great quarter mile kind of speed guy, but he knew I was the kind of guy that had the mind that I could run forever and, 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 and do that way. And that's kind of what led me to, you know, after I left Temple, I, I was a 5,000 meter, 10,000 meter runner at, at Temple and cross country. You know, if you know Temple, you know, every day we would leave uh, campus and we would have to run the Belmont Plateau, right? So you're talking five-mile run through the streets of North Philadelphia, get to Belmont. Saint never had water or nothing for us. You know, you get there, you run the whatever the workout was Saint has laid for you, um, him yelling at you the whole time, and then you run back to Temple. You know, so you were putting in 15, 17-mile days every day, not even knowing you were doing it, you know. <laughs> but it made us better. It made me a stronger runner overall, uh, and it helped me long-term in my career having that, that long stuff. And Saint didn't. He didn't uh, pat you on the back, you know, like he was more like expected to run well. And, 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 he, and he did. He wanted to respond. Some kids did. Some kids didn't. I was one that responded pretty well with, with Tom Dowling's method and with uh, Saints' method. And to that point, how much do you think it made you a better coach that you experienced firsthand kind of the gauntlet of coaching styles and you – you were able to excel under both of them, but how much does that help you when you're dealing with kids kind of having that wide range of experience? I, th I think it helps a lot. I mean, again, coaching a lot of it is not X's and O's a lot, but it's more dealing with personalities and trying to get the best out of each kid that they can. So you have to deal, some kids you have to deal a little bit different than others. You can't have just the one, one method type of thing. So, um, and I coach men and women. So, so I, both those coaches I, that coached me were just men's coaches. So, you know, I, I have to adapt a little bit there, but I, I try to be open. I'm not, I, I used to be when I started, I, I was more of a, all right, this is the way to happen. This is how it's going to be. But I learned over the years that, and especially these kids nowadays are different than I was. I mean, I grew up in the 60s and 70s, you know, 
So they just think they're just wired differently. So I have to adapt to them. They, they don't adapt to me. So I kind of have to adapt to their style a little bit too. And I think that having Saints method and Tom Donnelly and everything, it helped them to be real, real flexible and open to a lot of, a lot of different things that, of what's going to be work. I'm a little bit more pragmatic. When do you run your first marathon? Because I think I read somewhere you've competed in something like 75 of them. Am I correct? You're one off, 76. 76. So what's the first one? I, w- I wouldn't recommend this, but I was 17 years old. I was, I was uh, a junior in high school. If you remember, I mean, you're this guy by the name of Frank Shorter won the gold medal in 1972. And you had Steve Prefontaine, you know, all those Olympics. It kind of inspired me to kind of go out. And, and that was the beginning of the running boom. The running boom was just kind of starting with Bill Rogers and Frank Shorter and, and all that stuff. So, it, it, you know, I shouldn't have done it as a high school kid. But Tom had his running 60, 70 miles a week. So it wasn't, you know, out of the realm for me. I mean, I was putting the miles in. And I ran the Philadelphia Marathon my first time, right? And it, I went back to look at I looked at the newspaper articles from that day, it was a nor'easter and they actually almost canceled the Eagles game. It was December like third or so in 1974. And it was three times around the river, right? Three times around the river, it was 50 mile power winds, cold, you know, this kind of stuff. And I made it 22 miles. I made it 22 miles in and my calf cramped up. I dropped out, but I had the bug and a guy by the name of Will Rogers who became Bill Rogers actually won it. It was the first marathon he ever won. And he ended up winning in New York City and New York and became a big star. But that kind of gave me the bug. And like I said, as a, as a coach today, I would say, don't do that. But it, it led me to further things down the road. And the Penn Relays actually had a marathon back in the day. And I competed twice for Temple in the Penn Relays marathon, finishing the top five that one year. Did you ever consider making a push for Olympic distance you mentioned a couple of olympic runners was it ever something you considered well i did um again we we're kind of in that era i think where you kind of try things i i mean i had my degree <laughs> my parents were against it but and i was good but i wasn't that good but in my head i thought i could be better so i actually took a bus out to lake tahoe with a friend of mine and i lived in lake tahoe for almost a year working at a casino and training twice a day taking some odd job in a casino and I tried, you had to run under two hours and 20 minutes to make the Olympic trials. And I never got there. I mean, I gave it my best shot. I mean, my best was 220, just 228 um, and change. But, you know, I gave it that shot where you say, hey, I, I didn't want to look back and say, hey, did I give it my best shot? So, so, the, so it wasn't my head to do that. And anybody who comes to me today and says, hey, that's my dream. You know, I was, I was just talking to an Irish kid from Northern Ireland the other day, a recruit. And that was his dream. His dream is to come to the United States and run and this and that. And, you know, I, I never squashed anyone's dream. So that's kind of what, you know, I got it out of my system and I kind of moved on from there. You mentioned the first marathon you dropped out. What was the first one you completed? Well, then I, I came back and, I, and the pen relays. I, I think, okay. uh, you know, marathon then. And I ran like two hours and 33 minutes, somewhere around there. I mean, I was in good shape. And then I, when I, when I graduated, I mean, I was working a full-time job. So I, I got the bug. Like I said, I would run before work. I would go to work and then uh, run after work. And I did that for, I would say, a good 10 years of really solid doing that kind of stuff. And like I said, if it's not your passion, you know, it was my passion at the time. So it wasn't a big deal for me to sacrifice a lot of things. You know, I, I, I kind of delayed my career a little bit. 
I didn't really have a full-time girlfriend. You know, all those kind of things that you're, you're into something. And it wasn't, you know, I, I love doing it. So, like I said, I, I, I averaged, I think, everyone was under three hours. So I think I only had about three or four that were over three hours. So they were all pretty, you know, pretty good marathons. And I had a kind of body. I mean, I was 111 pounds, five foot three, five four. And I took a lot of pounding. My, I mean, I would do 120 mile weeks in training. And, you know, all, the, all those kind of things. That was, that's what you did back then. When it comes to a marathon, what is the toughest part for you? Is it finding your rhythm? Is it the, the middle of the race when you know you still have so far to go? Or is it the final few miles when maybe you're starting to break down? Is there a, a part that's a biggest, the biggest hump for you to get over when you're running a marathon? I think for me, a lot of it depended on which marathon I was into. So if I was running Boston or I was running some high, you know, I think I thought I was going to do really well in and I'm getting to the 20 mile mark and maybe things aren't going my way. And I have all this pressure because I put all this work into this one race. They would be the hardest things those last couple of miles if, if things weren't going well. Were other marathons where I was using more for training sometimes or, you know, I wasn't really taking this seriously. I would just never have a bad part of it because I was just kind of, you know, I, I wasn't going all out type of thing. You know, I was kind of holding back a little bit. So it, it's a tricky question, but I would say, you know, the old saying is the race starts at 20 miles. You know, you put the 20 miles in, that's where the training takes you there. Then you start seeing at 20 who the competitors are. You know, then someone puts a surge in, you're there or this or that. That's where the race starts those last six miles. So it's always those last... 21 to 23, I would say, are the toughest. If you get past that point, you know, and you're in good shape, then you're going to have a great race. Do you have a favorite favorite marathon? I would say as far as being, you know, into the race, Boston Marathon for sure. I did 19 straight Boston Marathons. There you had to qualify. It was the only marathon you have to qualify for too. So it was kind of like a special thing that you ran Boston because you qualified. But the people in Boston are so great. They're very educated about the race. It has a great history. I've run marathons in London. I've run them in Rome. I've run them in Alaska, uh, Ireland, you know, all over the place. But Boston people are special as far as knowing, you know, who you, know, who you are. Everybody's special. Where I've run New York four times. New York, it's more of a party thing. You know, it's more like, hey, we're out there having a good time. Uh, hey, the runners are going by. What's going on? But they don't even know who's in the race, really, about, you know, a lot of the time. So, and I've run Philly, I've run Atlantic City, but yeah, Boston's my favorite. Have you ever run one, or not even a marathon, but a long race? And you, tra- you mentioned you've traveled all over to do these races. Have you ever done one and you get about halfway through and you're like, boy, this is a mistake, either the way it was put together or, or anything like that? I mean, besides marathon running, I was an ultra runner. Like, I... I found out that my pure speed wasn't there. So I actually ran races that were 24 hours and run races in South Africa. That was 56 miles and in, in London 56. They were kind of special in, in themselves because you're getting halfway through and that's, you still have more than a marathon to go. So sometimes, you know, with those races, I didn't have my day, but you don't want to drop out. So you kind of stick it out and push it on. But the only time I really had a really bad, bad time, I, I was running the, the national championships for 100 kilometers in Sacramento. And they just had a flood out there. So the Sacramento River was washed out. And so all the markings were washed out. 
So at the 26th, it was a 100-kilometer race, 62 miles. Well, I went out way too fast because I didn't know where I was. And, you know, I ran a really fast marathon, and, my, and I was shot at that point. And that was the only time I really dropped out. I got to about 40 miles, and I just had nothing, and I had to drop out. You know, so that, that, was, that was discouraging. But any other time, uh, we used to call it the sag wagon or the, the loser van. You know, you never want to drop out of a race. You want to kind of hang in there because you don't want to be in that van that kind of drives you back with everybody else. Time for a break on one-on-one. We will have more with Jefferson University track and cross-country coach Dave Thomas right after this. Hey, everybody, it's Cherry Gregg here. You may know me around town as KYW News Radio's community affairs reporter, but every week I produce and host Flashpoint, a podcast where we highlight the hot topics in Philadelphia, local newsmakers, and changemakers burning things up in our region. From gerrymandering to gender equality and policing in schools, we'll walk you through the flames on Flashpoint. It's available wherever you downloaded this podcast that you're listening to now. So subscribe. Thanks so much. And we are back. Our guest this week, Jefferson University track and field and cross-country coach Dave Thomas. You mentioned a 24-hour race. How in the world do you train for that? More of a metal thing. I mean, it's funny. I did a couple of things. I don't know if I, I, I worked for this guy, Pat Croce, for a number of years. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. When I was with Pat, I was working with the Flyers. I was their conditioning guy and, I, and, and things like that. So... I started getting into some 24-hour things running around the spectrum. The, I was Kathy Kerr, who was Tim Kerr's wife at the time's fitness trainer, and she ended up passing away. And she was in charge of the Flyers Wives. And I became friends with Tim. And Tim says, you know, hey, I'd like to do something for Kathy. You run. And I says, well, how about I run around the spectrum? Like, I just came up with the idea of 24 hours. And they arranged it all. I mean, they, they arranged it all for me to be there. And I did that twice. I ran around the spectrum. It was actually 400 meters around. And I did that for 24 hours. And that wasn't a race situation. That was more of a, for a charity. So that was my, my inspiration. That was my drive. And I did uh, 113 miles the first time. That was in February. It was cold out. And uh, the second year, I did 117 miles. And then the third year, to do something different for the Flyers' wives, I ran from Hershey Park. I left during the Hershey Bears game. And I arrived during the carnival uh, the second day. So that was a 100-mile run. You know, you don't really train for them. You're more or less, it's years and years of experience and just going out for three-hour runs and running marathons. And, you know, the longest run you may do might be the marathon. So, for example, when I ran Comrades, which was a 56-mile race in South Africa, I ran a marathon every month, February, March, April, May, and I ran them around three hours just for kind of practice, but never went over that distance. And, you know, here I am running a 56-mile race. Same thing with the 24 hours. You're training your, your brain and your, your mental capacity. So in a 24-hour race, you actually start hallucinating. Um, I guess about maybe 20, uh, I guess it's about 20 hours into it. When I was running down the spectrum, I mean, it was the middle of the night, and I started seeing things pass in front of me, like, you know, thinking something's going to front. And you know, that's where you have to kind of like you're never out in that zone and you're you're physically beat up, but you, you just kind of push on. So it's not so much a physical training as it is a lot of it mental, too. For the quote unquote average marathon, once it's over, you've completed it. 
how long do you need recovery before you run again? Or do you turn around and go do a couple miles the next day? What's the, what is that like once you've got a marathon in the books? Recuperation is very important with any type of distance sport because you don't want to get injured or sick if you push too much after. So generally I had a rule that any mile I ran hard in a marathon was a, a day recovery. So we're talking if I ran a 26-mile race, you're talking like three to four weeks kind of where, where everything's worked out of you. Now, you, I'm back running the next day, maybe three or four miles easy. But what, what breaks down is your immune system, like your, you know, your immune system breaks down and, and, and other things break down. So if you're not careful and you jump back into a hard race again, you know, your chance of injury and, 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 and getting sick are a lot harder. So that was my general rule. For every mile you run harder in a, in a race, it generally takes you about three weeks to recover before you would race hard again. On average, how many, at your peak on average, how many miles a week are you doing, and what are you doing now? I'll be 64 this year, so obviously I, I figured it out. I got about 120,000 miles in my body, you know, over training since I was 14. So I'm no, you know, I run today just to stay in shape, and, you know, I coach, and my, my mind and everything is all into coaching the kids. But I get out about, I, I'm right for around 30, 35 miles a week. I live up here in Roxborough, so I go down Valley Green, and it's a beautiful park, and I go up and down the trails, and, you know, sometimes I'll just walk for an hour, too. I'll go up on the trails and walk, so I don't have that pressure to train. But I would say an average, now when I was in my heyday, yeah, I would, I would average between 70 miles at the low end and about 120 miles at the high end, you know, depending on the time of year and what you're training for. And, you know, when you're coming to a race, obviously you're bringing your miles down so that you're fresh for the race, you know, but that, so you work in zones. And then in those zones, you're working like some interval training and you're working some other stuff too. But that would be my average would be like anywhere from 70 to 120 in those days. And right now, probably about 30, 35 miles a week. So you mentioned you were working with the Flyers doing conditioning. When did coaching come into the equation? Pat Croce actually got me, I think, involved <laughs> because I was working for him and as a, you know, in the rehab and uh, conditioning and all that kind of stuff. And there was something called the Leukemia Society of America started something called Team and Training in 19, early 90s. And it was going to be for regular people. These were just regular people you know, who maybe jog and stay in shape, and they were going to run a marathon. They had 20 weeks to go from a couple of miles, a, 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 you know, a week, and I had to get them I, as their coach I, to get them to run a marathon. And they would raise so much money for the charity, and we would go to these different exotic marathons. Well, they approached Pat Croce to be the coach, right? Well, Pat's busy with the, you know, doing all Pat was doing at the time. And Pat gets a hold of me and says, hey, Dave, they wanted me to do this thing. I said, oh, yeah, that sounds pretty interesting. That's how I got into coaching. So I didn't get in from the competitive side. I kind of got in from the, you know, you call maybe joggers at the time or whatever you want to call them. They were just regular people. But they were great people. And we would have 100, 120 people out there at Ridley Park or Valley Forge Park on a Saturday. And I'm the coach, and I'm getting these people inspired. And they would start with three miles. And we would get them up to 20 miles of running and walking. In, in, you know, like 18 weeks time, and they would go out and complete that marathon. And these were people that are working 40 hours a week, plus they're raising $5,000 for the charity and their training. So that was kind of, I did it for 14 years, right? 
And then one of the gals who I coached was one of my runners. She was a great runner for North Carolina. Well, Jefferson, or at the time it was Philadelphia University, was just starting back cross country. This was in 2004, 2005. So her name was Holly Stagliano. I was her, she says, hey, do you think you want to be my assistant coach? So I got out of the Leukemia Society coaching, and that kind of I became her assistant coach. And then after a few months, um, she realized that it was going to be a tough, you know, a tough job. She had a kid at the time, and, you know, it was going to be more of a full-time thing where they were only, it's really a part-time job, as you know, as a coach. Even though you're part-time on the payroll, you're full-time, you know, everything else. So, right. um, so Tom Shirley, you know, was looking to hire someone, and, you know, we, he sat down and he says, hey, Dave, do you think you can take this over from Holly? And that's kind of, you know, gave me the bug. And I've been with Jefferson, you know, now for 15 years. So it started as uh, me running, you know, my career got me into kind of what I call the average person. And I was, you know, like I said, I was conditioning coach for the Flyers and, you know, others. So I had my athletes at the time that I was working with. I worked with regular people and then the, uh, the running people. And, and when I was with Pat, I mean, that was during the time of the Flyers. It was 1988 to 1995. So we had some great guys at the time, you know. I worked with Ron Hextall and Eric Lindros and Kerr and all those great guys. And, and they loved distance people. You know, they knew what I was, because I was running at the time. So it was great that I was able to transport that over to those guys, you know, the, the thinking type of thing. And Tim actually started a race. Uh, Tim Kerr started a race down in Avalon you know, with the help of me and two other guys. So Tim actually, you know, Tim's what, six foot four, 240 some. Yeah. He started, th- he started running. <laughs> so that was great to see. So, you know, anybody can run. A- a distance running is a great thing. Like you don't have to be a certain height or a certain weight. You know, you just have to have the passion and the drive to want to, to, to put the work in. And you kind of get back what you put into it. What was the transition like? And you mentioned... You know, you were coaching before Jefferson, but it was, you were coaching people working, stuff like that. Was there an adjustment period when you, you're coaching college kids, kind of getting into the, the routine of, of how to deal with them or recruiting, stuff like that? Yeah, and that, that was probably the biggest challenge because i never done that. I mean, as an athlete, you know, I, and as i never done that. So I had to learn that on the job. You know, there wasn't a book that you read to do that. When, when we started the program back in 2004, you know, we were just getting kids on campus. You know, hey, do you want to run or do you want to run? So it was very challenging just getting people on the team, first of all. And it took about two years to kind of get it going where I was actually having high school kids, you know, going out and trying to get them to come fill out the university at the time. But, you know, it became Jefferson. So it took about, a, I would say, a three to four year learning process of how do I, how do I recruit how do I do a budget? You know, how do we how do we respond to these kids? You know, because it's a whole different ball game talking to someone who's 40 years old, who's working, who just wants to complete a marathon and trying to convince a kid to, you know, do what we have to do and then compete. And I think it took us 2008. We won the championship for the first time, the women. And that was a great team because we started in 2004, 2005. So we went from basically five people on the team you know, to win the conference championship in a matter of a couple of years. And at the time, Georgia Court was a pretty strong team. They had won it like four or five times. And, you know, they were unbeatable. And we had to kind of, I had to convince the girls at the time that you're good, you know, that you that you could beat these this, this team, you know, even though they're, they're that good. 
And once they did it the first time, it, you know, it became easier, you know, from that point on. And then we started getting the reputation of, you know, we're a pretty good team. It took me a little slower with the men. So I've been there 15 years. So we've won the team, for the, the conference championship 11 out of 12 years for the women. And the men, we've won it three times. But we've been up there in the top two or three pretty much every year. So it's, it's, it's kind of like laying out. You have to lay out your program and convince them. They have to buy into it. You know, they have to buy into, you know, why am I running 70 miles a week? Why am I doing this? You know, they have to kind of buy into it. Because a lot of them don't come from high schools, maybe that have the same type of program. And, you know, when they start seeing the results, you know, it's a great feeling as a coach to see, you know, that you're taking that kid from point A to point, you know, to point B there. What do you stress to kids on your team? How do you get them into the mindset of being a championship runner? I think the main thing is that they have to be a student athlete, you know, that they have to be, they're away from home for the first time. So, you know, 98% of our kids come from home and live on campus. So I think the hardest part for me as a coach the first year is just getting them to settle down a little bit, you know, settle down, get into a routine. Okay, you know, I'm on my own. I have to make my own bed. I have to cook my own, you know, go, I have to do my own clothes, all that kind of stuff. That's, that, that's a lot harder than I think a lot of people, you know, think because it kind of interferes with their schooling and their running. And then once I get to them where they settle down there, just getting to where they have to get out there and do the miles. I, some, some kids just don't realize the commitment it takes to be a, not just a distance runner, but to be a championship distance runner. You know, you just can't say, hey, I'm going to go out and do three or four miles and talk to my friends and have a good time. If you want to reach the next level, you have to put the work in. You have to get out there. And if you're strong enough, you're running twice a day. You know, you're getting out there in the the morning, three or four miles. You're going to class. You're doing all the things you have to do. And then you're coming back in the afternoon, you know, to do it again. And things may, may not be going your way. You know, you may have calf might be hurting you or maybe have a little bit of a headache. You know, like like things that other sports and might, you know, might kind of go to the trainer and say, you know, hey, you know, I got this and I got this. And they'll sit out a day where a distance runner, they tend to be a little bit more, you know, push themselves beyond that limit. And so you just, you know, you're not going to be 100 percent all the time. You're going to have aches and pains and you're going to have to get out there, you know, and do the work. Now, you know, obviously, if, if you're hurt, then you sit out. But just dealing with the day to day aches and pains. Getting in a routine, going to sleep, you know, getting that eight, nine, ten hours sleep. That's the hardest thing is to convince a college kid that he needs nine hours of sleep, you know. <laughs> and as a distance runner, you do. Uh, I read some study, I'm not sure if it's true or not, but for every 500 calories you burn, you're supposed to get an extra hour of sleep. Well, think about it. If you go out for a 10-mile run, that's two extra hours sleep. So you're supposed to be sleeping 10 hours. Try to tell that to a... An 18-year-old kid, you know? What is your favorite part day-to-day of what you do now? My favorite part is getting out of the office and going and, and seeing the kids doing, you know, actually doing our workout, you know, meeting them somewhere and, and, and doing our workout. They're the most fun times I have because I'm the guy who holds the stopwatch and, I, and I'm the one who writes up the programs and tells them what to do. But until you see 20 kids or 30 kids out there, you know, it's kind of just doing paper there. And then when you're actually meeting them and, you know, and, and dealing, and some of them, some of them have a great workout and some of the kids might have a bad workout, but, it, but it's all part of the game. It's all dealing with that. 
And and when I go home at the end of the day, uh, that's what I remember most is just, you know, the time, my time with the kids. That, that's the fun part of it. So if I'm there at eight hours a day and I see them two or three hours a day type of thing, you know, the five hours are the office kind of stuff, but those three hours are, yeah, they're the fun time. Dave Thomas, thanks so much for taking the time. This was great. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot. And that will do it for this week's episode. Want to thank Jefferson University track and field and cross country coach Dave Thomas for being our guest. Now, if you like this show, want to help us out, if you listen on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and a review. Now, you can follow the show on Twitter at one on one pod. You can follow me on Twitter as well at Matt Leon1060. Thank you so much for listening and be sure to join us again next week when we bring you another conversation with someone you should know more about.